for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We are now continuing with Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman, and welcome again to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the fulfillment, the full realization of all of the promise of Judaism and the gifts of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Well, we're at a special time of the year on both the Jewish calendars and the Catholic calendars right now. Some of you may be aware that on the Jewish calendars, we are in the middle of the high holiday season. We just had Rosh Hashanah a few days ago, and we're coming up on Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah being the Jewish New Year, Yom Kippur being the Day of Atonement. And on the Catholic calendar, just a few days ago, we had the birthday the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the beginning of, I can't say the beginning of our salvation through Christ, that was probably her um, conception, but definitely a very big marker of the beginning of our redemption through Christ. And um, this year, the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary fell on Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah itself is two days, and this year Rosh Hashanah began, you could say, in the day of September 7th, and so September 8th, the birthday of the Blessed Virgin Mary, was the second day of Rosh Hashanah. And a couple of years ago, 2018 in fact, Rosh Hashanah fell on September 8th, so it was exactly the same day was the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary and Rosh Hashanah. And at the time, I did a radio show on Radio Maria where I pointed out all of the spiritual resonances, uh, echoes, so to speak, between the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the creation of the world because the Rosh Hashanah, in the Jewish understanding, is actually the anniversary of the creation of the world. So we had the birthday of the world falling on the birthday of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And again, this year, we had the birthday of the world falling on the birthday of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So I thought it would be appropriate to replay that show where I discuss the very deep spiritual parallels between the birthday of the world and the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So with that introduction, I'm going to go to that past show. So you'll be listening to a recording of that past show, although um, I'll be here with you, uh, praying alongside, and um, I don't think, I I don't anticipate interrupting the past show to make comments, but it's always a possibility. So with that, let us hear about the spiritual significance of the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary as a parallel to the creation of the world. I hope you enjoy it. And what do the two have uh, to do with each other? Well, for one thing, Rosh Hashanah is known as the Jewish New Year because it is the anniversary of the creation of the world. And uh, what's that got to do with the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary? Well, one could say that the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary was the recreation of the world after its fall in some deep sense. Now, that sounds like a, a bit of a stretch, but in order to justify it a little bit, Let me read from the um, Don Garanger's The the Liturgical Year, which is an account. It goes through the Catholic calendar uh, day by day and has 
both the texts of the Mass for the day, according to the old calendar and the old Mass, in fact, and also a kind of theological reflections about the calendar, the liturgical calendar for that day. So let me read from Dom Guerinjay's liturgical year in his description of today, September 8th, the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, Before I get ahead of myself, let me say two things. One is, my intention for today's show is to spend uh, half of the show, or thereabouts, on the Catholic feast day of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and half the show, or thereabouts, on the uh, Jewish feast day of Rosh Hashanah, which begins today at sundown. And as I do so, perhaps we'll have opportunity to reflect on the way that um, one prefigures the other, that that the creation of the world is the first first creation of the world, and the recreation of the world, which of course came about primarily through the coming of the God-man as a man through the coming of Jesus, which was kind of inaugurated, one could think of, when the Blessed Virgin Mary was born. So back to Dom Garanger, uh in his description of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Let us celebrate the Nativity of the Virgin Mary. Let us adore her Son, Christ the Lord. Such is the invitation addressed to us today by the Church. Let us hearken to her call. Let us enter into her overflowing joy. Truly, a better paradise than the first is given us at this hour. Eden, fear no more that man will endeavor to enter thee. Thy cherubim may leave the gates and return to heaven. What are thy beautiful fruits to us, since we cannot touch them without dying? Death is now for those who will not eat of the fruit so soon to appear amid the flowers of the virgin earth, to which our God has led us. Hail, new world, far surpassing in magnificence the first creation. Hail, blessed haven, where we find a calm after so many storms. Aurora dawns, the rainbow glitters in the heavens, the dove comes forth, the ark rests upon the earth, offering new destinies to the world. The haven, the aurora, the rainbow, the dove, the ark of salvation, the paradise of the heavenly Adam, the creation whereof the former was but a shadow. All this art thou, sweet infant, in whom already dwell all grace, all truth, all life. Let me just interrupt myself and say, you see here that Don Garanger is very directly drawing a parallel between the initial creation of the world and the original paradise of the Garden of Eden that man lost through his fall into sin. And as he says, truly a better paradise than the first is given us at this hour, that is, at the hour of the Blessed Virgin Mary's birth. And uh, addressing the Garden of Eden, what are thy beautiful fruits to us, since we cannot touch them without dying? Death is now for those who will not eat of the fruit so soon to appear amid the flowers of the virgin earth to which God has led us. In other words, the death that befell man with the fall in the Garden of Eden is now for those who will not partake of the fruit which is about to come to us through the introduction in some sense of this new Garden of Eden, this new paradise coming with the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Back to Dom Garanger. O Tower of the True David, 
Citadel withstanding the first shock of Satan's attack and breaking all his power. True Zion, founded on the holy mountains, the highest summits of virtue, temple and palace, feebly foreshadowed by those of Solomon, house built by eternal wisdom for herself, the faultless lines of thy fair architecture were planned from all eternity. Together with Emmanuel, who predestined thee for his home of delights, thou art thyself, O blessed child, the crowning point of creation, the divine ideal, fully realized on earth. So, here Dom Guerinjay is, of course, addressing uh, the you to that he is addressing is the Blessed Virgin Mary herself. And he is pointing out that all of these images in the Old Testament, these images of salvation, these images of perfection, these images of uh, sort of, in one could say, the um, the earthly slash heavenly Jerusalem, are in fact images of the Blessed Virgin Mary. O Tower of the True David, Citadel withstanding the first shock of Satan's attack, that is of course the Blessed Virgin Mary, the citadel, the fortress, which withstood the first shock of Satan's attack, being conceived without sin, born without sin, and sinless throughout her life. She is the fortress that successfully withstood Satan's attack, breaking all his power. True Zion, the true holy mountain, founded on the highest summits of virtue, not the earthly Jerusalem, which was just a picture of the true Zion, but here the the, the true Zion the highest summits of virtue found in the Blessed Virgin Mary, the temple and palace, um, one could say the temple and palace of God, feebly foreshadowed by those of Solomon. Of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary was the temple and palace of God, right? She was his dwelling place. She was his home. She was, I mean, he, he took shape inside her womb and developed inside her womb. She was the temple and palace for um the true God as the uh, temple and palace of Solomon, particularly the temple of Solomon, of course, was the external dwelling place of God before then, um, and so forth. I'll go back to Dom Geringer. Let us then understand the church when, even on this day, she proclaims thy divine maternity and unites in her chants of praise the birth of Emmanuel and thine own. He who, being son of God by essence, willing to be also son of man, had, before all other designs, decreed that he would have a mother. Such, consequently, was the primordial, absolute character of that title of mother, that in the eternal decree it was one with the very being of the chosen creature, the motive and cause of her existence, as well as the source of all her perfections, natural and supernatural. We too then must recognize thee as mother, even from thy very cradle, and must celebrate thy birthday by adoring thy son, our Lord. Inasmuch as it embraces all the brethren of the man-god, thy blessed maternity sheds its rays upon all time, both before and after this happy day. God is our king before ages. He hath wrought salvation in the midst of the earth. Let me interrupt myself for a moment and say this again is a, is a very beautiful image that mirrors the first creation with the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary because it's the essence 
is, is um, the essence of motherhood. It's the essence of being the mother that you bring into creation the child. And so as the first creation of the world was the first coming into creation, so we as the brethren of Jesus, we as sons of Mary, who was all of our mothers, were brought into our creation, brought into our being through her maternity. Um, in the first case, of course, through her maternity of um, Jesus, but in a kind of parallel secondary sense through her maternity of us, bringing us into creation. So once again, we see that it's fitting that the birthday of the Blessed Virgin Mary should be a kind of second celebration of creation, actually a higher celebration of creation than the initial creation of the world, which would end up as the fallen world, which Rosh Hashanah celebrates. Back to um, Dom Geringer. The midst of the earth, says the abbot of Clairvaux, admirably represents Mary. Mary is the center of the universe, the ark of God, the cause of creation, the business of ages. Towards her turn the inhabitants of heaven and the dwellers in the place of expiation, the men that have gone before us and we that are now living, those who are to follow us are children's children and their descendants. Those in heaven look to her to have their ranks filled up. Those in purgatory look for their deliverance. The men of the first ages, that they may be found faithful prophets. Those who come after, that they may etern- obtain eternal happiness. Mother of God, Queen of Heaven, Sovereign of the world, all generations shall call thee blessed, for thou hast brought forth life and glory for all. In thee the angels ever find their joy, the just find grace, sinners pardon. In thee and by thee and from thee, the merciful hand of the Almighty has reformed the first creation. And that phrase there, I'm interrupting of course, that phrase there, from thee the merciful hand of the Almighty has reformed the first creation, we see in a nutshell why the birthday of the Blessed Virgin Mary is the recreation of the world um, as and as the celebration, the anniversary of the birth of Mary is the anniversary of the recreation of the world as uh, Rosh Hashanah is the celebration, the anniversary of the first creation of the world. I'm just going to reread that last paragraph um, for the sake of its beauty and uh, for the sake of the honor, I hope, that we will be giving to the Blessed Virgin Mary by meditating a bit on these words. Remember, these words are the words of uh, St. Bernard. Mary is the center of the universe, the ark of God, the cause of creation, the business of ages. Towards her turn the inhabitants of heaven and the dwellers in the place of expiation, the men that have gone before us and we that are now living. Those who are to follow us are children's children and their descendants. Those in heaven look to her to have their ranks filled up. Those in purgatory look for their deliverance. The men of the first ages, that they may be found faithful prophets. Those who come after, that they may obtain eternal happiness. Mother of God, Queen of Heaven, 
Sovereign of the world, all generations shall call thee blessed, for thou hast brought forth life and glory for all. In thee the angels ever find their joy, the just find grace, sinners find pardon. In thee and by thee and from thee the merciful hand of the Almighty has reformed the first creation. Um, that so ends the quote from St. Bernard of Clairvaux that is cited by Dom Guéranger in his liturgical year from which I have been reading. And I will continue. Andrew of Crete calls this day a solemnity of entrance, a feast of beginning, whose end is the union of the word with our flesh, a virginal feast full of joy and confidence for all. All ye nations come hither, cries St. John, Damascene, come every race and every tongue, every age and every dignity. Let us joyfully celebrate the birthday of the world's gladness. It is the beginning of salvation, the origin of every feast, says St. Peter Damien, for behold, the mother of the bridegroom is born. With good reason does the whole world rejoice today, and the church beside herself bids her choirs sing wedding songs. So again we see the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary portrayed as a second creation of the world, so to speak. Um, I, I'll reread those, uh, the last uh, sentence or two. Uh, Let us joyfully celebrate the birthday of the world's gladness. You could say that the creation of the world, that le- the creation of the world um, in the Garden of Eden was the birthday of the world's suffering. I don't want to push that too hard because, of course, it was also the birthday of the world's gladness. But coming before then, it was the birthday of the world's suffering in the sense that it was the birthday of the world that fell into sin, deformed nature, resulted in the fall and the fact that we are in this valley of tears until we enter true life with death, so to speak, through the portals of death when we enter into um, please God, heaven. And so it is, was, um, in the original creation of the world, today is the anniversary of the birthday of the world's suffering. And in it being the anniversary of the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary, today is the birthday of the world's gladness. As this quote from St. John Damascene says, let us joyfully celebrate the birthday of the world's gladness. It is the beginning of salvation, the origin of every feast, says St. Peter Damien, for behold, the mother of the bridegroom is born. So that is a little picture that I've tried to paint from um, reading the uh, from Dom Guéranger's liturgical year that I think does illustrate that I'm not being, you know, way out on a limb by pointing out the mirroring quality of the birthday of the world with the birthday of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I will just say one, uh, I'll read one other, one more paragraph from um, today's feast day in Dome Garanger to kind of um, uh, justify a statement that came earlier in my reading. Mary is the center of the universe, the ark of God, the cause of creation. Mary is the cause of creation. Now, one might legitimately say, how can Mary be the cause of creation since she came long after the world was created? And she, of course, did not precede in her being the world's creation. So how could she be the cause of creation? And Dom Guéranger 
uh, gives a little description later on in the, today's feast day of how that can be. So I will just read that paragraph before going on. Our weak human nature, subject to time, can conceive of things only according to the series of their progressive evolutions. But God sees them independently of time, which he rules with his eternity. He sees them in the order of mutual dependence in which he has placed them with a view to the manifestation of his glory. With God, the beginning and the principle of every work is the purpose for which it is done. Now the Most High acts outside himself solely to reveal himself by his word made flesh and become the son of a created mother as he is the son of the creator. The God-man as end, Mary as the means. Such is the object of the eternal decrees, the purpose of the world's existence, the fundamental conception with regard to which all else is but accessory and dependent. Now, I'm not going to do justice to the philosophy underlying this. I know that it comes, uh, in some sense, straight from St. Thomas Aquinas, and perhaps even before then. Um, but the idea being that the purpose, the end for which something is created, in some sense precedes its creation. Um, you know, if an artist picks up a, a paintbrush and a palette of paints and a canvas, in order to paint a certain image he has in mind, um, even though that image only emerges after he's picked up the paintbrush and canvas and so forth, it is the intention to paint that image pr which precedes the painting itself, which precedes the creation. So in some sense, the cause of the creation of that painting preceded the creation of that painting. And in some kind of a parallel way, since the incarnation of the God-man through a creature, Mary, was the purpose of everything. The, um, uh, uh, let me go back to that uh, original sentence so that I don't uh, butcher it. The, um, uh, bear with me one moment. Mary was, in that sense, the cause of creation. Anyway, I hope this has meant something to you. It's certainly been a great delight to me to be able to read this um, and uh, meditate a little bit out loud on it, in fact. Uh, let me, uh, in the next few minutes, read an account of the birth of Mary from Anne Catherine Emmerich, uh, who is now, I believe, canonized saint. I know she's was a blessed a few years ago. I think she's been canonized. She was a... Um, visionary uh, nun of the 18th, I believe, century, perhaps even the 19th century in German, who saw many, many, many details of the life of Jesus and of, in fact, all of uh, salvation history in her visions, which have been written down. That's Anne Catherine Emmerich. And her visions, of course, they're not sacred scripture. They're not, um, in, uh, you know, asserted to be infallible. But I will say that her visions were used as the material uh, the, on the basis of which an archaeologist um, at the, of the time, or of the 19th century actually, uh, went to the Holy Land, went to Israel, dug where Anne Catherine Emmerich in her visions had seen things buried, had seen buildings and so forth, and found the things that Anne Catherine Emmerich had related in her visions being exactly where her visions 
told the archaeologists, so to speak, that they would be, so that speaks well for the authenticity of her visions. Um, so let me just read a little bit of her description of the um, of the birth of Mary. Afterwards, we'll go to our break, which usually comes around halfway through. It will probably be around halfway through. Now, going to the visions of uh, Aunt Catherine Emmerich on the birth of Mary. What gladness. I'm interrupting momentarily to say that when we do go to the music break, I will be taking calls at the studio here. So once we go to the music break, if you wish to call in, you can call in before, but you'll be on hold until the music break, of course, which is uh, coming up in about, I don't know, seven or eight minutes. Um, I will check the call board coming out of the musical break. And if there are any calls, I'll take them now because I'm actually here live alongside the uh, recording of the show from a couple of years ago. And take your questions or comments and then go back to um, the show per se about the relationship between um, the birth of Mary and the birth of the world. So anyway, if you just want to get your dialing fingers ready or whatever, the number here is 866-333-6279. Or if you use Skype, it's Radio Maria USA Studio. Or the number again is 866-333-6279, which spells M-A-R-Y. So with that, I will continue with the show itself. Throughout all nature, birds are singing, lambs and kids are gambling, and swarms of doves are fluttering with joy around the spot upon which Anne's abode stood. I saw... Um, excuse me. I had a vision of pilgrims in the far-off times... On their heads they wore a covering around like a turban. They too participate in the joy of nature. Um, the hermits... Excuse me, I'm going to skip this passage. I saw a pious pilgrim 250 years after Mary's death traversing the Holy Land, visiting and venerating all places connected with the actions of Jesus while on earth. He was supernaturally guided. Sometimes he tarried several days together in certain places in which he tasted extraordinary consolation. There he prayed and meditated, and there he also received revelations from on high. For several years he had, from the 7th to the 8th of September, noticed a great jubilation in nature and heard angelic voices singing in the air. He prayed earnestly to know the meaning of all this, and it was made to known to him in a vision that it was the birth night of the blessed Virgin Mary. He was told to reveal this, as well as the circumstances of Mary's birth night. I saw that in consequence of the pilgrim's communication, the 8th of September was here first celebrated in the year 250, and that later it was introduced into other parts of the church. Um, I'll interrupt and say my understanding, my memory is that it was uh, adopted fairly universally in the church as the birthday of Mary in the 7th or 8th century. Um, continuing with um, Aunt Catherine Emmerich, I learned from St. Bridget that if pregnant women fast on the eve of Mary's birth and say fervently nine Hail Marys to honor the nine months she passed in Anne's womb, if they frequently repeat these prayers during their pregnancy and especially on the eve of their delivery, receiving then the holy sacraments devoutly, she will offer their prayer to God herself 
and bring them through even very critical circumstances to a happy delivery. I was transported to a high place between heaven and earth. I saw the earth below me gray and somber, and above me heaven, where among the choirs of angels and the orders of the blessed was the blessed Virgin Mary before the throne of God. I saw prepared for her two thrones of honor, two buildings of honor, which finally became churches, yet whole cities, and they were formed out of the prayers of the earth. They were built entirely of flowers, leaves, garlands, the various species typical of the different values and characteristics of the prayers of individuals and of whole congregations. Angels and saints took them from the hands of those that offered them and bore them up to heaven. So that was kind of a mystical vision of um, of the Blessed Virgin Mary's birth. Um, she, uh, Anne Catherine Emmerich, also has a um, temporal vision, and I will um, read a few paragraphs from that. Several days previously, Anne informed Joachim that the time of her delivery was at hand. She sent messengers to her sister Maraha at Sephoris, um, and also to some others, and sent for three women to come to her. I saw them on their journey. Two were accompanied by their husband, who returned, however, when they had reached the neighborhood of Nazareth. Joachim had sent the men servants off to the herds and had otherwise disposed of the domestics not absolutely needed in the house. Mary Heli, Anne's eldest daughter, now the wife of Cleophas, took charge of the household affairs. On the evening before the birth of the child, Joachim himself went to his herds in the field near his home. I saw him with some of his servants who were related to him. Um, I'm, uh, Joachim, after praying here a while, selected the finest lambs, kids, and bullocks from his herds and sent them by his servants to the temple as offerings. He did not return to his home before night. I saw the three women approaching Anne's abode toward evening. When they arrived, they went straight to her apartment back of the fireplace. Anne embraced them, told them that her time was near, and standing intoned with them a psalm, Praise God the Lord, he has had pity on his people and has freed Israel. Truly he has fulfilled the promise that he made to Abraham in paradise. The seed of the woman shall crush the serpent's head. Close quote. I do not remember all verse for verse, but Anne rehearsed the different types of Mary and said, quote, The germ that God gave to Abraham has ripened in me. The promise made to Sarah and the blossom of Aaron's rod are fulfilled in me. Close quote. During all this time, Anne was shining with light. The room was full of glory, and over Anne hovered Jacob's ladder. The women around her were amazed, entranced. I think they saw the ladder, too. Um, now, uh, a slight refreshment was placed before the visitors. They ate and drank, and toward midnight lay down to rest, but Anne remained up in prayer. She felt that her time was near, and she desired them to pray with her, so she roused the women. They all withdrew behind a curtain that concealed an oratory. Um, uh, at the foot of the little altar was a cushioned stool and a box. The box contained some of Sarah's hair, which Anne held in great reverence, some of the bones of Joseph, which Moses had brought with him out of Egypt, something belonging to, to Tobias, relics of clothing, I think, 
and a little, white, shining, pear-shaped cup from which Abraham drank when he received the blessing from the angel, and which was later on taken from the Ark of the Covenant and given to Joachim along with the blessing. Um, Anne knelt before the shrine, and one of, with, um, one of the women on either side and a third behind her. Again I heard them reciting a psalm. I think that the burning bush on Horeb was mentioned in it, and now a supernatural light began to fill the chamber and to hover around Anne. The three women fell prostrate as if stunned. Around Anne the light took the exact form of the thorn bush on Horeb, so that I could no longer see her. The flame streamed inward, and all at once I saw Anne receiving into her arms the shining child Mary. She wrapped it in her mantle, pressed it to her heart, laid it on the stool before the relics, and went on with her prayer. Then I heard the child crying, and I saw Anne drawing forth from some linen from under the large veil that enveloped her. She swathed the child's she swathed the child first in gray and then in red, leaving the breast, arms, and head bare, and then the luminous thorn bush vanished. The holy women arose, and in glad surprise received the newborn child into their arms. They wept for joy, all intoned a hymn of praise while Anne held the child on high. I saw the chamber again filled with light and the myriads of angels. They announced the child's name, singing, on the twentieth day this child shall be called Mary. Then they sang Gloria and Hallelujah. I heard all these words. So that's an account of Anne Catherine Emmerich's vision of the actual birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And um, I will simply note uh, that the uh, Old Testament prefigurement of the New Testament, so to speak, permeates this account. And note that um, when Anne was about to give birth, the uh, burning bush of Horeb kind of hovered around her and obscured her. And, of course, the burning bush from Horeb, the burning bush which Moses saw and the Lord spoke from, and the bush was not consumed by the flames, has always been seen in Christianity as a picture of the Blessed Virgin Mary who... Um, uh, who was virgin before uh, before the conception, uh, during the birth, and after the conception. So she was like the bush, which was not consumed. She was not consumed by her maternity. She was not consumed by the conception. But she remained, um, uh, I don't know what the word is, but she remained virginal as the bush remained unconsumed by the flames. And it was that burning bush of Horeb that surrounded Anne when she gave birth to the Blessed Virgin Mary. So we've come to the halfway point in the show. I will take the musical break, which I promised. And uh, here I am. Uh, and uh, as I just said in the recording, we've come to the halfway point in the show. We'll take the musical break. And if you wish to call in during the break, the number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Or if you use Skype, you can Skype Radio Maria USA Studio. And uh, coming out of the musical break, I'll check the call board. And if there are any callers, I will take your calls and um, then go on with the discussion of Rosh Hashanah and the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary. 
And so with that, uh, let's turn to the musical break. When we come back, I will shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about the uh, Jewish feast day today, Rosh Hashanah, and what that also has to do with the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary, so to speak. So with that, let's go to our musical break. Uh, be back in a few minutes. You've been listening to Roy Showman on the show, Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, on Radio Maria. Be back in a few minutes. Tota pulcra es Maria, tota pulcra es Maria, ora pro I uh, haven't seen any callers, so I will simply continue with the show as planned. Hi, welcome back to Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism. Uh, I have promised before the break that I would talk a little bit about Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish feast day today that celebrates the creation of the world. I had been talking the first half of the show about the celebration of the recreation of the world with the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary providentially taking place on uh, the same day this year. Um, now, uh, Rosh Hashanah is, uh, as I mentioned early in the show, is known as the Jewish New Year. Um, it's uh, the celebration of the birth of the world. It's also 
a time of um, introspection and reflection and repentance, because uh, the, according to the Jewish tradition, on Rosh Hashanah, God opens up the Book of Life to write down the judgment for each individual, uh, basically uh, whether he or she will be rewarded or punished, what will befall them in the coming year for their past behavior. And um, therefore, it is the beginning of a period of intense repentance, known as the Ten Days of Repentance, that begin on Rosh Hashanah and culminate on Yom Kippur ten days later, which, according to the Jewish tradition, is when the Book of Life is sealed and God's judgment is cast in stone, so to speak. So these ten days are the days to, um, with a very um, open and broken heart, repent and ask God's mercy for all of our failings and sins so that we will be forgiven before it's too late on Yom Kippur. So um, I thought I would just characterize or illustrate some of the spirit of Rosh Hashanah by reading reading some um, passages from Jewish sources about what repentance means and about what one does on Rosh Hashanah and so forth. So that's what I'll be spending the next few minutes doing. I'll be reading from um, um, accounts. Most of them are Hasidic stories. The Hasids uh, don't have time to go into it, but it's a, it's a sect of Judaism. It's a stream of Judaism that is... Um, fairly charismatic and heartfelt and um, kind of uh, very oriented towards prayer from the heart as opposed to the more um, pharisaical, one could say, streams of Judaism which are more oriented towards the uh, scrupulous observance of, um, of uh, you know, precise laws. So I'll just read some of these stories, mostly from the Hasidim. Once before Rosh Hashanah, the pious Rabbi Eli Melech was sitting and worrying, How shall I face the omnipresent on the judgment day? Have I not committed many transgressions? And he continued to reckon them over one by one, as was his holy way. And in the end he said, Well then, my broken heart will stand me in good stead on the judgment day. Now this, by the way, um, uh, we all know probably Father Benedict Rochelle, who passed away a few years ago, and I remember him saying in, in one of his televised talks that um, when he faces judgment when he dies, he will not turn to any good he might have done, but he will simply throw himself on Jesus' mercy. And we know that as... Catholics, and if any of us are familiar with the diary of San Faustina, we know how Jesus is dying, so to speak, or certainly died out of his desire to forgive us absolutely anything if we simply turn to him with a contrite heart. And this um, sense of the meaning of repentance and what the heart of pleasing God is, is actually contrition for our sins rather than sinlessness was already present in the um, uh, already present in the in Judaism. Um, so now let me uh, uh, let me find some more telling ones uh, passages. Um, 
we entered the house of prayer. Uh, this is about the prayer, um, the uh, prayer service that begins Rosh Hashanah. We entered the house of prayer and prayed the afternoon prayer and prolonged it a little, since it is the last prayer of the year, to show him that we are not ungrateful for the days and years that he, out of his mercy, has given us. After the afternoon prayer, let every man meditate in his heart on all the deeds he has done. If there are some good deeds among them, let him take it upon himself to add to them. If his deeds were evil, let him regret them in his heart, and let him take it upon himself to repent of them, and let him prepare himself to receive the new year in sanctity and purity. Let him look ahead and hope that the coming year will be good, for God conducts his world ever more beautifully. Let every man prepare himself to pray the evening prayer with powerful devotion. Before the evening prayer, it is customary in many communities to chant the liturgical prayer, the liturgical poem in which there is the plea, May the old year expire, and with it its curses, and may the near year begin, and with it its blessings. Um, that probably wasn't a terribly good illustration of anything. I um, Sorry. Um, and uh, I will turn to another source of uh, Hasidic stories, and uh, without uh, um, um, well, here's a story about the need to have mercy. This is a little bit reminiscent of um, the Our Father. Um, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. A disciple asked Rabbi Shmelki. We are commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves. How can I do this if my neighbor has wronged me? The rabbi answered, You must understand these words right. Love your neighbor like something which you yourself are, for all souls are united. Each is a spark from the original soul, and this soul is wholly inherent in all souls, just as your soul is in all the members of your body. It may come to pass that your hand makes a mistake and strikes you. But would you then take a stick and chastise your hand because it lacked understanding and so increase your pain? It is the same if your neighbor, who is of one soul with you, wrongs you for lack of understanding. If you punish him, you only hurt yourself. The disciple went on asking, But if I see a man who is wicked before God, how can I love him? Don't you know, said Rabbi Shmelki, that the original soul came out of the essence of God, and that every human soul is a part of God. And will you have no mercy on him when you see that one of his holy sparks has been lost in a maze and is almost stifled? I see we have a caller. I will turn to him in a moment. I just want to say that I was reading this. Well, no, I'll talk about the, this uh, little passage after the call. Um, and for now, let me turn to uh, the caller. Are you there, Mike? I am. Good afternoon, Roy. Hi. Thanks for calling. I hear your voice every week. <laughs> I'm uh, Mike from uh, California. I was on one of your pilgrimages uh, in, in November last year. Uh, yes. Uh, I will not give um, any details unless you want to give them, but oh. I remember you well, and you were gotcha. a great joy accompanying, you know, to have on the pilgrimage. Uh, thanks for coming. Sure. There's, there's nothing to hide there. It's a great time. Um, I'm just kind of equating this with or trying to relate the uh, the new year with uh, how Christians should should work that into their lives or Catholics um, it, it sounds similar to 
um, you know, something that Sister or Saint Faustina would say in terms of asking for mercy and and uh, and forgiveness and forgiving others. Um, but is there a way we should use this as a model for anything in our own life? Uh, well, thanks for the call. <laughs> the answer is, well, of course. Um, although I, I, I'm not saying that the, uh, oh, let me take a deep breath and try to make sense for once. Um, the, the one disadvantage of being born a Catholic is not being aware of the infinite gifts one has in the Catholic Church. The Jews had to wait until one period of the year to confess their sins and to beg for forgiveness and to maybe or maybe not get forgiven. We as Catholics can do that ten times a day if we want to go to confession ten times a day. We can certainly do it any given day of the year. Um, it was a huge thing in the Jewish liturgical calendar because it was the one opportunity to clean the slate and start over again. Think of the incredible infinite benefit over and above that of being able to do that any time we go to confession and receive absolution. So it is very much a model, but it's a model that in being a model shows the basically the poverty of what was available before Christ compared to the richness of what's available through him and the sacraments of the church that he established. So, in, in some ways, it seems like God has opened up an even greater door to mercy or, or awareness and, and uh, offering it to us that, that than was available before. I would say the comparison is like sucking through a cocktail straw versus a, a fire hose. <laughs> okay. Or, or an open fire well, hydrant or something. It's, it's, um, it's, it's to... Go ahead. No, I say it's good to know. I just it makes me appreciate uh, being able to go to confession more often. Uh, yes, and um, uh, you know it's it's um, you know you you can go through the entire liturgy, so to speak, of of the Jewish high holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and um, the uh, it all is kind of summed up in in Psalm fifty one, which the church is in the uh, liturgy of the hours um, at least every week um, in the in the in the lightest version of the liturgy of the hours it's in the morning prayer every Friday but it's not the only place it occurs in the liturgy of the hours and um, so thank you for your call and maybe I will use it as an opportunity to read the um, miserere read Psalm 51 which really encapsulates the spirit of um, repentance in both Judaism and in the Catholic Church. And in that sense, it's a kind of, a, you know, a common point between the two. Anyway, thank you very much for your call. And uh, by the way, Thanks, my next pilgrimage to Israel is next May. There's still some spaces available. Um, anyone who's interested can send an email to haveroytalk at gmail.com or through my website, salvationisfromthejews.com. Um, so let me read Psalm 51 as a prayer that uh, may be kind of drawing to a close today's show. Have mercy on me, God, in your kindness, in your compassion, blot out my offense. Wash me more and more from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. 
My offenses, truly I know them, my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned. What is evil in your sight, I have done. That you may be justified when you give sentence, and be without reproach when you judge. O see, in guilt I was born, a sinner was I conceived. Indeed, you love truth in the heart, then in the secret of my heart teach me wisdom. O purify me, then I shall be clean. O wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Make me here rejoicing in gladness, that the bones you have crushed may revive. From my sins turn away your face, and blot out all my guilt. A pure heart create for me, O God. Put a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, nor deprive me of your Holy Spirit. Give me again the joy of your help, with a spirit of fervor sustain me, that I may teach transgressors your ways, and sinners may return to you. O rescue me, God, my helper, and my tongue shall ring out your goodness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall declare your praise. For in sacrifice you take no delight, burnt offering from me you would refuse. My sacrifice, a contrite spirit, a humbled, contrite heart you will not spurn. In your goodness shall favor to Zion, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with lawful sacrifice, holocaust offered on your altar. Amen. So, that's the situation we're in as Catholics. Our, am I allowed to say, our poor brethren, the Jews, um, to the extent that Judaism is still faithful to the Judaism of the Old Testament, have to wait until this time of the year to beg once for forgiveness for their sins. As our caller Mike mentioned, we have the infinite gift of being able to be absolutely forgiven from our sins at will when we go to confession with a contrite heart and um, through the sacrifice of Jesus, through the birth, life, suffering, and death of the God-man who was, of course, born through the Blessed Virgin Mary who herself was born today on the, or uh, on today being the anniversary of the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And just picking out some lines from this psalm, of course, we have the ability to go to confession, have our offenses blotted out, be washed entirely from our guilt, cleansed from our sin, um, that we can be purified and be clean and be washed and be whiter than snow. We may hear rejoicing and gladness, the bones that have been crushed by our sins within us may revive. God will turn away his face from our sins and blot out all of our guilt. He will create a pure heart, recreate a pure heart within us, put a steadfast spirit within us, bring us back into his presence, restore the Holy Spirit in us, give us again the joy of his help, sustain us with the spirit of fervor, um, be rescued, and... um, I guess that's it. <laughs> I guess that's it. All of that is available to us at the drop of a hat if we show up to confession with a with a contrite heart. And well, I'm afraid that that's all the time I have for today. And uh, it's a good place to end. Uh, exhortation to take advantage of what we have over and above what our elder brothers in the faith, as John Paul II said, have as Jews. We have the infinite gift of the sacraments of the Catholic Church, 
which we owe in some sense to Judaism in its role in bringing about the incarnation of Christ. So tying everything together on Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, you've been listening to Roy Shoman, and I hope you join us again next week, same time, same place, Radio Maria for Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism. And um, I think I may have even run a little bit over, so uh, I will simply fade out now and um, hope you join us again next week. Bye.